0: Morning. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Curtis. This morning we'll be reading out of the book of Joshua, chapter 22. Uh, we're going to start with uh, verse 1. Uh, we'll read through verse 9. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that <clears throat> I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep uh, keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession uh, lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very uh, very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, Parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves, by command of the Lord through Moses. This is the word of God. Thank you,
1: God. All right. Kids, well done sitting through nine whole verses of Joshua, which is unlike nine whole verses of any other book, particularly long. Um, You may have noticed there in verse 8, the command to these tribes is divide the spoil amongst your brothers. So I could have preached a sermon on sharing because it's Family Sunday. I decided not to do that, but I did want to point that out. Divide the spoil amongst your brothers and sisters, and it will go well with you in the land. Um, But today is Family Sunday. Um, good morning. My name is Ryan. There's many, many of you that I have not met. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer. Now, real quick, my wife is a planner, and so I want to give all the planning parents just a heads up. We're going to go through this sermon as normal. I'm going to try to make it a shorter sermon than normal. We'll see how that goes. Um, but we're going to go through this. We're going to go into our communion song immediately after. And then once we get into the communion song, you can choose to go get your children and then take communion together or take communion and then go get the rest of your children. For those of you who have kids in the the babies and the walkers and toddlers class, but do go get them and bring them in with you because at the end of the communion song, I and Brian will be commissioning our parents and our whole church together um, as you go out and disciple your kids in your homes and in the world uh, and as you allow the church of Christ to come alongside you and join you in that work. So just uh, on the front end, wanted to give you that. Um, our minds and our ta- our hope being on the task of discipling our kids. And I use the collective hour. This is not just... Um, the kids of of just the parents. This is the, the children of the church, the future generation that sits among us this morning. We on purpose chose Joshua 22. We chose this Sunday to preach this sermon because of the connection that it has with this commission that Joshua gives straight from Deuteronomy. And so as Joshua sends the Eastern tribes home with Deuteronomy I am then called by Joshua 22 to send you home as well with the words of Deuteronomy. So that's where we'll be this morning. But before we get into Deuteronomy 6, I have two leading questions. And they're kind of the same question, but different sides of the coin. The first question, what is the greatest strategy for the faith and discipleship of future generations? Children, children our lost neighbors, our lost friends and family, what is the greatest strategy for their discipleship to leading children into faith? Is it right theology and doctrine? Is it right living, good works, giving to the church? Maybe it's a balance of right doctrine and right living. What's the greatest strategy for the discipleship of these kids? Is it being sure that we show up to church every Sunday, every chance the doors are open, we put them in a Christian school, we say grace before dinner and bed? What's the greatest strategy for the faith and discipleship of our children? Now, the other side of that, maybe a different way to get you to think about that is what's the greatest threat? What's the greatest threat to our kids coming to know and love and follow Jesus? What's going to stop them? Is it false doctrine and theology? Is it the lusts and passions of this world? Is it public school? I say that tongue-in-cheek. Thank you for the the pity laugh. Is it their own sinful disposition, their own flesh that will lead them astray? Maybe it's their, their friend group. What's the greatest threat to the discipleship and the faith of our kids and our neighbors and their kids? Joshua 22 and beyond Joshua 22 through the entire council of scripture would argue that none of these have the greatest impact on our kids' discipleship. Now, they have impact. Theology and doctrine has great impact. The, the, the nature that our kids are in, the way that we, the environment we put them in has a great impact, but none of these have the greatest impact. What has the greatest impact on the discipleship of future generations is repeated throughout scripture. It's love. The greatest strategy that the church has is Love. The greatest threat that faces the church is a lack of love. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 that the fullness of God's entire instruction and commandment to his people is that they would love God and love one another. The fullness of his instruction is love. And in John 13, Jesus tells us that the world will know us by this love. They'll know who we belong to. They'll know who's changed our lives. They'll know what hope we have by the way that we love. Not the way that we act, not the way that we think, not the way that we do good works in service, not where our money goes, but by the way that we love. Charles Spurgeon interprets this, and he has this famous quote. The world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. Now, the story that we're witness to in Joshua 22 is continuing the story of Israel taking up the land, the kingdom that God has given them. And what we see in the beginning of chapter 22 is Joshua addressing the eastern tribes before he sends them out home. He sends them home to be with their families. We pick up in the story, but what we don't know, unless we've read the the previous chapters, we we see in um, the very first part of Joshua that these were the men, the brothers, that had uh, decided to settle on the other side of the Jordan River, outside of the land of Israel, because it was best fit for their families and their futures. And and God uh, and Moses said, yes, you can do that, but we need you to fight with your brothers. You're not off the hook in taking up the land. And they did so willingly. In the years that it took them, they were separated from their families to fight with their brothers, to take up the land in this kingdom that God has promised them. And so before Joshua finally sends them home, to begin their journey home, he sends these men with a commission that comes straight from the mouth of Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Now, before we turn to Deuteronomy 6, look at Joshua 22 verse 5. He says, only be very careful. Now, when, when an address to, when a person addresses um, people or when God addresses people, and he says, only, it's, that's like Everything boils down to this. Be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Now here it is. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments, which were to love one another. The 10 commandments are boiled into two categories, loving God and loving each other. Keep his commandments and cling to him. There's another Hebrew translation that says hug him, cling to God, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. What a great commission he sends these people out with. And these are straight from the words of Moses. It begins in Deuteronomy 6 in a, a, a foundational scripture known as the Shema, still a foundational scripture for the nation of Israel today. The Shema is, is what people cling to. That's what our, our um, the, the Israelites cling to then in Joshua and then even now today. And so we'll read the Shema together. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9. And these words and words like them in their same shape are repeated throughout Deuteronomy. You can see them in Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 11. They show back up Um, obviously here in Joshua. Deuteronomy is the book right before Joshua, if you need to flip there. Deuteronomy 6, verses four through nine, we'll also have it on the screen. It begins, because the Shema, the word Shema means hear, or or listen. So the Shema begins in verse four of Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, pay attention, everyone listen, hear, O Israel, The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Do you get the picture? Everything about your life is about God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll influence the way that you work with your hands. You shall, uh, they shall be as frontlets between their eyes. They guide your steps and where you look. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I do encourage you to read the rest of Deuteronomy 6. But if we zoom out and we look at what's being said here in the Shema, we'll see um, three layers to Moses distilling the instructions of God. So we've got three things um, that we can summarize the Shema into. Love God, love each other, teach your kids. We see now the connection between Parent Commissioning, Family Sunday and Joshua 22, This is the command that Joshua sends the tribes home with. These are the fathers. These are the uncles, the brothers of the men and women, or the the women and children that are back on the other side of the Joshua waiting for their fathers and their uncles and their brothers and their grandfathers. He says, love God, love each other, and teach your children to do the same. And it's repeated in Deuteronomy 6. We see it back in Exodus. We see it um, also in Joshua. It's repeated throughout scripture. Why do we do these things, your children will ask? Why are we building these altars, these memorials? Why do we travel back for the Passover? Why Why do we live in this land? What is our story? God makes a provision because kids ask why, right? You guys love to ask why. And it gets so far down to the point where I'm like, man, I I literally don't know. I'm not just exhausted and tired of that question. I have no answer for you. And God knows that. And he says, your kids will ask why. So I'm giving you an answer so you can tell them of my steadfast love for you, that I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I saved you and I gave you a new land of promise and possession not so that you would find hope in those things, but the, so that you would see me as your good father. This is why. Usually the kids stop asking why once you give them that answer. Just, just, just quote Deuteronomy 6. Anytime your kid asks why and you're like, I don't know, hero Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one, and they'll stop. Love God, love each other, teach your children. Now the Shema begins with three words, two words in a letter. Hear, O Israel. Now he does not say, hear, O parents of Israel. Hear, O Israel. So he's, he's addressing, Moses is addressing the entire nation. Joshua When he sends these tribes home, he's not just addressing the fathers of the Eastern tribes, he's addressing all of them. It would be silly for any of us to assume that only parents and children exist within the church. The church is very diverse, and that's on purpose. If, you're, if you've ever wondered, why am I still single? It's because God has given you a special role within the church because the church is diverse. You belong. Why do we not have any kids yet? Because God has given you a diverse place in the church. That through your circumstances, your life experience, you would not be diminished although we do live in a church culture that likes to diminish and downgrade people that are single, asking them constantly, when are you gonna get married? Or asking couples without children, when are you guys gonna have kids? And we hope for that as they hope for that and we wait and we long with them, but we also don't downgrade their circumstances. They're not less of a Christian just because they're not married, just because they don't have kids yet. And the same goes for anyone who has lost a child. Maybe who's gone through the experience of divorce and feels immense guilt and shame for the pain that that's caused their children, the pain that that causes themselves. We cannot overlook this portion of the church because we often do. The church is a place where everyone belongs. This is a place where we come together to share our circumstances and our life experience for the common good of the church. Now, if you are one of these people who often feels outcast and downgraded, it is good for you to be a part, and I know that's asking a lot. That's asking you to be brave to a place that has probably caused you significant pain by heaping expectation on you by constantly questioning with good intentions, maybe. But this is a, the, the church is a safe place. It's a place for us to wait together, to mourn together, to grieve together, to pursue restoration and forgiveness in Christ together, to lift up one another's arms in the battle of life. You know, uh, that song, Tyler, he led the tall guy that led worship this morning, um, one of my great friends for the last few years. He wrote those first two songs. And that line in the, the second song for my good, he says, Through life or death, your love goes further still. And the whole premise of Christianity is knowing and confessing that God's love goes through death for us, that we have salvation and the hope of resurrection on the other end. I think one thing that we often overlook is that God's love goes through life with us. This is straight from Romans 8. And so as we consider our life circumstances that many of us do have children, many of us do not have children. Many of us do not have a spouse or a loved one at home. Many of us have lost a spouse, or children, that we must remind one another the good of the church together is that we must remind one another that the love of Christ goes through life with us and then death. We cannot overlook the fact that he goes through life with us. Therefore, we go through life with one another. We all have a collective part to play in the body of Christ. And so we have a collective responsibility to disciple the next generation, to disciple our kids, to make disciples out of our neighbors and their kids. Whatever that looks like, Brian's going to give us some really practical ways to do that later at the end of service. Now... um, because the church is a collective people, because we belong to one another, because the church offers hope in the reality that none of us are defined by our sins and our failures, by um, our lack of parenting because of our circumstances, or, or maybe the failures that we can't forgive ourselves of as parents. Because we are a collective people, then I, as the pastor of this church, will, um, on behalf of Redeemer... Ask for your forgiveness for those of you who are not parents, who wish to be parents, who have been parents, whose parenting is scarred. Would you forgive us when we look past you? Would you forgive us when we speak up when we shouldn't, or when we don't speak up and we should? It's an important place for us to to take up every opportunity to love with our words and our actions. And so I ask for your forgiveness on on behalf of the church, on behalf of whoever will say yeah, on behalf of me too. I just want to be tender in this moment because I know that the word parent and the concept of parenting is not black and white. It's not cut and dry. But if you are a part of the church, you do play a part in the parenting of the next generation because, and here's a point of clarity, a why this matters, why your position matters, even if you don't have kids of your own, because kids don't belong to their parents. God gives our children to parents for the, the sole purpose of them to be their stewards, to care for them, to love them, to support them but they don't belong to us. My kids don't belong to me. They're not my property. They're a gift from God. And because they're a gift from God and because I belong to the body of Christ, then I need the rest of you to help me parent, but also to support me and my wife. And this is true for every parent in the room. One of my greatest insecurities in life is in my parenting. And this is because, and those of you that, that are familiar with families, you've been around families, you have kids of your own, all of you know your family is where you might be able to see your sin most clearly, most abundantly That's not the place where you often uh, find yourself being fake. And so, for this reason, this is one of my greatest insecurities, one of um, some of the hardest things that, that I find to forgive myself of is my parenting failures. But in that weakness, God gives me the gift of his church. Um, I'll explain with 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, we'll also have it on the screens. First uh, Corinthians 12 can describe, in a better way, why the diversity of the church matters for the common good of our collective parenting of the next generation. First Corinthians 12 will start in verse four through seven. Now there are a varieties of gifts. The diversity of the church is wide. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. This verse in context is speaking specifically to the the gifts of the spirit, prophecy, tongues, um, teaching, faith, the like. But the diversity of the church and in its gifts applies here to, to parenting. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Because we have a collective identity as a people, we have a collective responsibility to parent all of our children because we all have the same spirit with the same goal to make disciples, to make more worshipers of Jesus. Kendall and I cannot bear within ourselves the full diversity of the church that would lead our kids to the best chance of coming to faith and to be the fullest formed disciples they could possibly be. We are weak and limited because we are human. And we would be foolish to assume that there would be anything less to gain by opening our home to the church, by allowing people to come in and share with that same spirit the discipleship of our children. Now, we don't just like opening our home to, to the church. And if any of us are honest, we've all got our times when we, we just don't, right? Right? We don't like opening our home to anybody sometimes. And that's okay. You're allowed to have those moments. But the reality is we need the church to help us in our parenting. We need the church to be a part of the life of our family. Now, even if Kendall and I had all the the gifts, even if we had all of... um, the instructions from God memorized and we were able to share those with our kids. But if, if we didn't have all the love and we can't have all the gifts, we certainly can't have all the love. And so even if we take gifts out of the equation, the church has love to offer to our family. And in, in the very next chapter of 1 Corinthians, The Holy Spirit, through the words of Paul, tells us that if you had all the gifts that exist and you had all the faith that exists, but you lacked love, you're a headache, you're a problem, you're a troublemaker, you're clanging cymbals. In the very next verse, he says you're nothing. You could have everything You could memorize the entire Bible, have all the perfect doctrine, even have the ability to lead worship, to preach, to serve coffee, all the the gifts of prophecy and tongues and all of it. If you lack love, you're a toddler's party favor. If we persist in loving one another in each other's spaces. We give our children, the children of God, the best opportunity to come to have faith in him. Our gatherings and our homes are where the diversity of the church is lived out in life with our kids, with our whole family. And so um, here at Redeemer, we have, as of right now, we have two ways or almost two ways to commit to live this out. Um, First, we have church membership. We have a church membership class that will be starting next week for the next two Sundays. If you're not a member of Redeemer, but you've been coming here and you feel like the Spirit is leading you to be a member of this church, uh, we would love for you to come and Participate in our new members class. It's two weeks. Uh, we ask that you would come to both weeks. Next Sunday, for the next two Sundays, the sixth and the thirteenth, at eight forty-five a.m. We do have childcare. Um, if you uh, have not registered for that, don't worry about it. Just come, and we'll have coffee for you. We have uh, church membership, and I'll I'll explain that in just a minute. But we also have small groups. We're almost ready to launch small groups after the new year, um, towards the, the beginning of the spring semester, we're gonna be launching out a few small groups and then we're gonna be doing another round of training and launching even more out. And so hopefully by the end of the year, uh, we hope to have eight to 10 small groups ready because we, we really believe that the discipleship of the church, the formation, the establishment, the strengthening of the church, the maturity of believers and making new disciples The best crucible for that to happen is in our homes with one another. And so we believe in small groups, and we will be launching this in the spring, but that's time. And it's been a year and a half already since we've started doing all this. And I I bring that up to say you don't need small groups. You don't need me or Brian to do anything. You can invite people into your home. Jesus did not have his own home, constantly invited himself into other people's homes. That is not southern hospitality, but it's Jesus, he can get away with it. Invite yourself into somebody else's home. I'm serious. If they have a problem with it, then read to them 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 and 13, play to them, you know, this the sermon The diversity within the church in our homes matters for the discipleship uh, of our children. Now, by being members, we'll go back to church membership real quick. Being members of a local church, what we're doing, what the way we hold membership here, we call it committed membership. We call it committed membership because what we're asking you to do is just make clear. Now, you can be a functional member at Redeemer, and never write your name on a piece of paper that says you are. And that's okay. We would love for you to participate. But to be clear, we wanna ask you, would you very clearly express your commitment to the body, to the parents and the families, to the singles, to the empty nesters, to the diversity of the church, would you express clearly your commitment to join them in our collective identity and responsibility of discipling the next generation. Because what we're confessing when we make this commitment is love. That we have received the love of the Father to pull us out of the domain of darkness, to put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That he has done that for me He has done that for you, and because of this, we commit together. Now, the command to love God and love one another um, cannot come isolated because I can tell you, love each other. I tell my kids that all the time. Love each other. Do you think they do it? Does that empower them? Love each other. Simon, does that empower you, Willa? Just saying, hey, be kind to each other. Guess what? I'm going to have to repeat myself (laughs) and repeat myself and repeat myself. You'll have to repeat it to them. How is our love fueled and empowered? Well, it can't be in our own strength. It can't be in our own willpower. Because we will fail. We're human. We have limits. But also, all of us are hard to love. And so we reach those limits quickly. I heard a lot of "Mm mm-hmm. Right, even the kids got it, right? We're hard to love, and so John First John four, the Apostle John, Christian history tells us um, that John was Jesus' best friend. First John Four reminds us that if we're if we want to love one another. We cannot love without first receiving God's love. We love because he first loved us. Now, what does John then say? If we try to love on our own power, we'll fail, and we'll actually end up hating each other. And then what are we? Liars and hypocrites. And so what are we multiplying within our children if we strive and attempt to love God and love each other without having first come to the love of the Father? We're multiplying within them to be liars and hypocrites. Let's be real. I teach this to my kids because I'm weak and I constantly need to be reminded that I cannot love on my own, but that I need to turn to the perfect life of Jesus that was given to me. His perfect life made him the perfect sacrifice on the cross and that in his death, I'm forgiven. This is the love of God. That in his death, I am forgiven. But it didn't stop there because Jesus was raised from the dead. And in this resurrection, we are now offered resurrection life with him. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead so that when he takes our place on the cross, we take his place in life. And that in our resurrection, We have now eternal life, relationship, harmony with our Father in heaven, our creator. We have access to that today if we trust and believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's this place that we turn when we're failing to love. And even before we're failing to love, we turn there. In the midst of our failing to love, we turn there. After our failings to love, we turn there. Because what's the answer to our guilt and our shame and our sadness and our grief and our loneliness and our sin? There is no other answer but the love of God for his children. Love is the greatest strategy for the discipleship of our kids. And so when we join together as a committed group of church members to love one another, to love God, we're giving an opportunity, the best opportunity for the next generation, for our kids, for our neighbors and their kids, we give them the best opportunity to know in this love of Jesus for themselves. Parents, just a quick reminder that after um, I'm about to wrap up, band, you can come up. We're going to do uh, communion. And then um, once we're done with communion, we're going to transition into, uh, they're going to play a song. While we're playing the song, you can go get your kids now and take communion with them, or you can take communion and go get your kids. No judgment. I know sometimes it's just a lot cleaner to do that. That's all right. But please, by the end of that song, um, I've asked Tyler to elongate it just a little bit. Come back with your kids so that Brian and I can send you out as parents and we can send the church out with you to support you and join you. Now, as we take communion together, as a church, as a collective people, we reflect on why we do it. Remember why we take communion together. By coming to the table, we've got tables on the sides here, we've got one in the back. By coming to the table, we eat and we drink something that we could not have ever earned for ourselves. We participate, we express a message of forgiveness that's not based on anything that we deserve. But this is a reminder, this is a tangible expression. When we look around and do look around, see the church receiving the forgiveness of Jesus being filled with the love of God, physically. We do this together. Now, as Joshua sends the Eastern tribes home with the words of Deuteronomy, and Joshua instructs me to send you home with the words of Deuteronomy, I'll do so by saying this. Love God, love each other, and teach your children.